everyone has that magic in themselves. They just have, they have to source it and access it. Like I said, one of the things I learned from my dad is um, he didn't always answer everyone's question. He didn't tell them how to handle their parents. He just kept asking questions until they came across a solution that worked for them. Okay. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Article 23. This is your podcast all about work. And excitedly, we're coming to you from New York City. We're right in Manhattan. And we're sitting around a beautiful desk in one of the most iconic buildings I think that there is. Uh, the Chrysler building right in right in the Midtown. Is yeah. that good? Yeah, right in Midtown. Right in Midtown. And even more exciting than that, it's amazing to have a great building, but it's even more amazing when you're sharing it with an amazing human being. And I'm doing that today with Chip Liddell. Chip, how are you? I'm good, James. Thank you. And, <laughs> um, you know, honored and on a serious note, very humbled to be here. I adore moi and the work that you guys are doing. So very happy and very excited just to be a small part of it. So thank you. Thank you so much. That's um, overwhelming in itself. But what some of our listeners might not know, some will know Chip well, I'm sure, and others might not know Chip, is Chip is probably one of the best learning leaders uh, in the world, sitting in New York at the moment, but in the whole world. Chip has been everywhere I can think of, <laughs> and probably some places I don't even know, <laughs> building the capability of people, um, growing people, stretching them further than they thought that they could possibly go, and building talent left, right, and center in all parts of the globe. So I'm pretty excited just to be sitting at, at a desk with him. Chip, tell us more about you. Anything you'd like to share? You know, I grew up in a coaching family. My dad was an insurance salesman by job, but he was a coach by nature. He coached everything, um, baseball, sports. And two things that I remember very much from my childhood, I think I was born into coaching and I was born into, kind of, you know, choose whatever hashtag you want to, human capital, people coaching, people training, whatever. But I have incredibly fond memories of not only my dad, but my mom. Um, our kitchen table was a coaching table. Um, I saw my mom sit down with my friends and, you know, coach them through problems with their parents. I saw my dad coach on the field for the game and off the field when the kids were having trouble. And I was kind of raised with that. And even after I moved out of the house as a young adult went to college, my friends still went back to visit my parents. And they still sat down with my parents for years after we were gone out of the house. And so I think that was just a testimony to what I learned about coaching and leading people from them. And I carried that into my career. I struggled with a little bit for a while where I belong in my career. And then I just ended up there. And it's like, you know what? Training and development and coaching is right where I belong. And it was natural to me, you know, I think based on how I grew up. And, and yeah, that's how I got here and uh, been doing it ever since. Chip, uh, a few things on what makes a great coach, given all that experience and, you know, amazing role models that you had with mom and dad, and I'm sure others too. What makes a great coach? I was actually lucky enough to be on a call a couple months ago, and it's something that I absolutely detested, but it was a tribute call for me, um, and it was painful. But everyone said something about me and my coaching ability, and one of the things that came up more frequently and everyone laughed is, they're like, Chip is the person you go to if you don't want an answer. He just Amazing. asks the questions and he keeps asking the questions and, you know, he listens very carefully. And, uh, and that's, that's really what I do. I, I truly believe that the skill level and the ability to move forward and be successful in your way is in everyone's head. It's, you know, they have the power, you know, just to give you a bad analogy is Dorothy's slippers. It's like, she has the magic in her slippers all the time. It's like, everyone has that magic in themselves. They just have, they have to source it and access it. Like I said, one of the things I learned from my dad is um, he didn't always answer everyone's question. He didn't tell them how to handle their parents. He just kept asking questions until they 
came across a solution that worked for them. And I think that was probably, for me, that was my biggest coaching lesson is just, you know, if somebody asks a question, ask them another question back and um, kind of guide them to the answer that, to their truth, their truth and their answer. Yeah, I'm hearing more, more listen than necessarily talk or Absolutely. tell people where to go, which is, we yeah. talk about that, but then we want to make sure people are doing it. And that, that's such a great example. For people listening in, Chip, I know that you've got, we mentioned your global, global mm. knowledge and connectedness. That's without a question. We've got a big listener group in Australia and mm. Australia's got a pretty good place to your heart. We're in a bit of a lockdown now in some of our key states, as you know, including Sydney, where, you know, head office is, is yep. for us. We'll, we'll wish everyone there the best. But how's New York going now? You know, I, I think the news, because I was hearing from my friends back there that New York was doing a pretty good job. And um, I think of all the things that big cities don't do well and do well, um, we did the lockdown pretty well. We got through the lockdown. We got the shots in the right place. We got them in the right arms at the right time. Um, if we couldn't get them in there, we moved them. You know, why we all have our issues with our government and um, concerns with that, I think we got hit really hard, really fast, very early on, way before the pandemic hit the rest of the country. New York started shutting down right about the same time Milan did, and that's where my home office at the time was. So mm -hmm. they shut down and then New York shut down. So there's a lot of connectivity there. And I think it was a lot because of the international travelers. So we got hit hard very early. So it kind of put us in a place where we started, you know, really systematically attacking the problem much, much earlier than the rest of the country. So is New York back where? No, and, and I, I don't know if, I'm pretty sure there's not gonna be a quote unquote New York normal, it's gonna be a new normal. Absolutely, and I think that's a good perspective. And I think when we were chatting just before recording this, um, we spoke a bit about New York as kind of a microcosm of the world. It's obviously mm. such a big place, even just thinking of Manhattan, let alone all the other boroughs. What happens here is probably how work will be, yeah. I guess, going yeah. forward, like a big city example. Why don't we talk a bit about that? Okay. So what, what work might look like? Where do we think it's going? Um, talk to us about that. Again, if I reel back to the time of the lockdown and COVID, when it first started, before I sent my team at the time on furlough, and this is one of the parts of being a good leader is telling people as much truth as you know. And one of the things that I did is I said, we're going to go into furlough. And, and everyone knows this, you know, from a business perspective, every normal business has a 10, 15, 20 year plan. And any business at the time worth its weight in gold was going to take the furlough opportunity to slam that 20 year plan into place overnight. Um, so when they bought people back from furlough, you're probably looking at that company's, you know, 10 year plan being moved up you know, 10 years, you know, post furlough. And, um, you know, that happened to a lot of people. So um, there were some significant changes in how work's done. When people came back from furlough, um, not into the offices, but working from home, one of the things that I noticed is there's a significant shift in people's willingness to work the way they did before. Where, you know, if we take a day off work, we're going to lose our jobs. You know, if we take yeah. vacation, you know, we're, we're crazy. It's like, let's stay at work, let's work. The more you work, the better you'll be perceived. And, um, that is all out the window. That is just gone, gone, gone. You know, everyone's like, I'm not working like that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm. Um, that's not a bad thing. I think there's some significant positive movement that came out of furlough and the lockdowns and, and then return to work. But one of the things that I think is interesting, I'm predicting, and I'm convinced that the, the work world is going to shift significantly to the better of the people. You know, there are companies who are strong arm companies who, you know, dictate how their people should act and dress and walk and talk and everything mm -hmm. else. And there's companies who do a good job, but even those companies have some significant rules in place. And I think you're going to see a significant shift in, you know, employee 
manage an employee-run businesses where there's going to be work groups and it's going to be, you know, before a company makes a big decision, they're going to pull a work group in and say, you know, what would be the best thing to do? I think that's going to happen. If it doesn't, it's going to, it, there's going to see a lot of pushback from the employees because employees are already dictating. It's like, okay, I, I can come back to the office, but one or two days a week, maybe not three days a week. Um, yeah. So you're hearing that a lot. You know, I was in New York during 9-11 and at the time we were leading a number of stores in Manhattan and the, the uh, outer boroughs. One of our business plans was to move the managers around a lot because one of the things that was very exciting is one, they like to move because they enjoyed seeing mm -hmm. different stores and different clients. The other thing is, is every time we moved a manager, the business in that store picked up. So it was, just, it was a known fact that a new set of eyes just kind of picked up the business in the store. So if we moved everyone every six months or a year, you know, we saw the business pick up. After 9-11, nobody was willing to do that. Before 9-11, they were fine. It's like, this is great, put me in that store, yeah. I'll try this store. You know, they'd take a bus and two trains or two trains and a bus to commute there and that's fine. After 9-11, the length of the commute became the most important thing to everyone. And everyone's like, you know what? I want to stay in the store I'm at because that's an extra bus. That's an extra 10 minutes to get to that store. And so after 9-11, I saw a real big shift in employee sentiment uh, against the commute. Um, yeah. And I think you're going to see a lot of that going forward. And that's purely as Australian, it's American, it's going to be all over the world. You're going to see a big shift in employees going, I'm not spending more than a half an hour or whatever to get to work. Yeah. Yeah. The commute is being rebelled, rebelled against a little bit, mm -hmm. I think. And uh and I think the other one that we spoke about before was just this, whatever the right language is, you're probably not getting the global transient sort of workforce as much moving around, but you're definitely seeing, say in the US or in Australia, people going, do I need to be physically sitting in New York City? Do I physically need to be sitting in the center of Sydney? Or could I be a little more regional or rural or closer to a family there? And that's becoming really, really important where maybe they wouldn't have forced that issue. Yep. Um, if you like uh, as much before. I think that's that's fascinating. How do we go forward? If you're a leader in an organization, um, an employee, what's the what's the kind of right thing to do from here? Earlier, James, you and I were talking about like pay and things like that. And obviously, mm. you know, if you live in Sydney, as opposed to, you know, a more rural area in Australia, um, or if you live in, you know, Nebraska, US, yeah. as opposed to New York, there's a significant cost of living difference and there's always been a significant cost of living increase in pay. And to be fair, I think a lot of companies are saying, you know, look, you don't have to come back to the office, but you can't keep that 15% increase. There's going to be some times where companies are going to have to make some difficult decisions like that and deal with the consequences because, you know, employees may say, that's fine, but I'm not going to work for you anymore. But I think as far as leadership goes, the best thing employee resource groups, which has a different connotation in the diversity setting than it yes. does in the business setting. Yes. But I don't think we've ever had decision-making resource groups. I don't know of any um, where we've had dis, you know, decision resource groups where um, executives pull people in. I mean, I've had executives ask me, what do I think of something if they're planning on making a decision, but it was very choice. Um, they pull one person aside, maybe their HR specialist, or maybe they pull, you know, their trust advisor aside and say, what, what do you think about this? I don't know that anyone's ever put together a resource group, at least in my experience, where they said, you know, how do we go forward? Um, and I think the first step on how to go forward is to pull people together um, and ask them, you know, I think there's two levels. One is what's fair. I think every company is going to have to figure this out. Mm. And Fair does not necessarily mean the same, and fair doesn't necessarily mean equal. Yeah. Fair just <laughs> means, you know, what can we do? 
that supports you and still supports the business. I don't think we can go as far as saying, you know, let's have a free for all. And, but I think when it comes to, you know, someone saying, look, I was in New York and I had a 15% cost of living increase. Now I'm in Nebraska. I'm happy to give some of that up. Can I keep 7% of it? So I think there's some really big business decisions that need to be made. Some of it will be made in the C-suites and the boardrooms, but I think the more involved people can get or companies can get their people involved in those decision-making process. I honestly believe that I know Rhonda shares this and I know you share this. Yeah, yeah. If, if you give people a chance to lead, they will. So if you ask them the right questions and if you ask them to be fair, they will. They're not going to, I don't think they're going to come up with crazy answers about, you know, 72 weeks vacation a year. Um, you know, they're <laughs> they're, they're going to be fair. And they're going to come up with something that's good for the company and themselves. Yeah, I think people are pragmatic. That makes good yep. sense. And I think we have been thinking about it in different language, but the mm. same sort of concept about democratizing design. How do we get views when we're creating something new? But Absolutely. the same goes when we're solving a problem where we've never really had to solve it before. Mm -hmm. It makes perfect sense to deploy it then. Chip, I think that's awesome. I know that I could talk to you for <laughs> years, probably more than hours or days. Okay. Um, who knows how many years there are, <laughs> who many knows how many days or hours, exactly. but, but I know that our audience listening will have loved the conversation with you. And the second part is I'm sure we'd love to have you back and we'd welcome you back anytime. I love doing this and I love being here and I thank you for inviting me and I look forward to more and, and, uh, good luck to all of my friends in Sydney and all over the world listening, getting jabbed. Um, hopefully, you know, this time next year, we'll be having a very different conversation. And now we need, I need you to join me in our sign off, our patented sign off, which is a big moi from us. Okay. One, um, two, three. Moi, moi from us. <laughs> <laughs>